Hey, Harvest, Pastor Cal here. Do me a favor, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, open them up to Philippians 3. We're going to be in Philippians 3, about verses 1 through 10 this morning. And I'm just going to jump right into the text because what we're going to look at today is just a really special piece of Scripture. This is a passage of scripture um, that is famous. You've probably heard it before, um, but it's really, really powerful and impactful. And so I just wanna jump right in and we're gonna unpack this together. Philippians 3 verse one starts by Paul writing this. He says, finally, my brothers, and I wanna stop you right there because that's a really important transition that Paul is making. He's beginning to wrap his letter up. And the reason that this is so important is you need to remember where Paul is writing from and what's happening in his life. Paul is in prison, he's in Rome, he's about to go before the authorities. He doesn't know if he's ever going to leave Rome or not. And we know through church history that Paul is beheaded in Rome. He he never leaves the, the custody he's under. He ends up dying as a martyr for Christ. So Paul's in prison awaiting his death and he's writing this church that he loves, that's faithful, that he's proud of. And he realizes this is probably the last time I'm ever going to be able to communicate with them. So as he wraps up his letter, what he's really trying to do is saying, listen, the most important thing, if you would hear nothing from me ever again, this is the one thing that I want you to hear. He's beginning this transition into him saying goodbye and saying, don't forget what is most important. And I don't know if you guys have ever had the opportunity or have had to say goodbye to someone you love as they're on their deathbed. I remember it was about 20 years ago for me when I was in high school, uh, we were living in Western Michigan and uh, my grandpa had gotten really, really sick. He'd been sick for a long time. He had had a heart transplant. He'd had a pacemaker put in. He had an artificial heart put in and uh, his health was failing rapidly. And it was very, very clear that he didn't have long left. And I remember um, going actually down to Chicago. That's where he was and um, walking into the hotel room and he wasn't really conscious. He, he couldn't talk to me. He was sort of aware. And I remember saying goodbye to my grandpa. And I think as a 14-year-old, that's something that's really difficult to process and understand what even to say. But what I do know is, is there was a sense that as I left that hospital room, I knew in my heart, I wasn't going to see my grandpa again, this side of eternity. There was another time in college, I remember I was sitting in chapel at Moody Bible Institute and I was sitting with my girlfriend at the time, Mary and her brother, Chris, And uh, Mary got a call from her folks and it was, hey, your grandpa is about to die. His health is failing. His hospice has been called in. If you wanna say goodbye, you need to come to Fort Wayne, Indiana now. So we left chapel, we drove to Fort Wayne and there was this really kind of just sweet moment where the whole family was gathered around him as he was um, slowly dying and we were singing uh, hymns together and we were praying for him and his daughters were with him and his grandchildren were with them. And I just remember being in that moment, not even knowing Mary's grandpa super well, but just thinking, man, I hope that when I go to meet the Lord, man, wouldn't it be awesome to be surrounded by my wife and kids and grandkids who love me and love the Lord and are praying for me. I mean, these are really, really powerful moments. And I think I, I sometimes find myself thinking like, man, if I knew that I only had one more opportunity to say something to my son, Bo, what would be the one thing I'd wanna tell him? Or, or if I could just see Mary one more time, what would I tell her? Or maybe even, man, if I could only ever preach one sermon ever again to our church, if I knew that this was the last sermon, what would I preach? And, and, and Paul is getting this really rare opportunity to write out what he knows 
is probably the last thing he's ever going to say to these people he loves. And what he does is very deliberate and it's very important and it's it's gonna be fuel for our souls even as we read it. So look again at verse one, here's what it says. It says this, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and it is safe for you. All right, there it is. So he says, finally, my brothers, and then this is the big thing he wants them to hear. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. This is the most important thing I can tell you is find your joy in the Lord. The big idea for us this morning is simple. It's this, it's that the only safe foundation for my joy is the Lord. The only safe foundation for my joy is the Lord. The only safe foundation for your joy is the Lord. And he even says like, listen, it's not a problem for me to write this and it is safe for you to hear. He's like, I have no problem telling you this over and over and over again. And the best, safest, most important thing for you to hear is that your joy is first and foremost found in the Lord. So here's the question, what does he mean? Like, why does he say that? Because here's the truth. If we're gonna be honest right now, some of you are thinking this, Cal, that sounds really churchy. Like that's something we hear in Bible school or that's something that we hear in Bible study or, or, or Sunday school growing up. Hey, have joy in the Lord. But like, isn't that too easy? Isn't that too simple? Like I, I'm finding it's hard to play that out practically. How do we actually build our life that has a foundation on joy? And I'm gonna give you the secret. Here's why this was so important to Paul. The reason that Paul could say this honestly and it wasn't cheesy or it wasn't churchy is this, because Paul never viewed his salvation as a theological equation. He never viewed his salvation as, well, Jesus did this and I said this, or I prayed this, or I believed this, therefore I'm going to heaven. No, Paul's salvation was way, way more personal to him. And it was something that he felt with every fiber in his body all the time. And here's what I mean. Paul viewed himself first and foremost before Christ as an enemy of God. He was an enemy theologically of Jesus. He, he would have denied that Jesus was the Messiah. He, he believed in the Old Testament law that that was the only way towards salvation. And he was a Jewish person who, who lived when the Messiah was here and rejected him. He was like, I was an enemy of God. I was a theological enemy. He was also a practical enemy. He would go and he would throw Christians in prison. He would persecute the church. He held the coats while Stephen was being martyred so the men could throw the stones harder at Stephen. Paul was angry. He was vengeful. He was wrathful. He was an enemy of God. And he said that God stepped into his life in a moment when he wasn't looking for it, when he wasn't expecting it. And he radically not only saved him, but changed him. He revealed, God revealed himself to Paul, revealed Jesus as the Messiah and literally changed his heart from the inside out. The arrogance, the pride, the anger, the wrath, the hatred was removed with a heart of love and kindness and patience. And when Paul looked at his life, it wasn't just that being a Christian was part of who he was, it was his whole story. That he was an enemy of God running away, but that God in his love and kindness radically changed the course of history so that he could call Paul his own child. And he's like, man, everything in my life points to the reality 
that God is good and he loves me and he's faithful and that's the source of my joy. And by the way, church, can't we say that same thing about us? You know, the Bible says that faith, it comes from the Lord and it is a gift and we receive that gift through the hearing of the word of Christ and the spirit of God that resides in us. It's not something that we've earned or worked for or are good enough to receive. But the story of our salvation is that God in his love for us made a way when there was no way that we were enemies, that we were dead, that we were blind to the realities of God and that God supernaturally opened our eyes to the truth, to, to seeing Jesus as the Messiah, as the answer to the world's sin problem. And that his spirit dwells in our heart that we might become more and more like Jesus, walking closer and closer with God as his sons and daughters. Like the most important thing that unites all of us is that God has given us what we don't deserve and has radically tra- or changed and transitioned not only our past and present, but our future. That we know our creator, that we can live out our creative purpose to know and love God. All of this has been made possible by God himself. That I know for certain in my life through the Holy Spirit that I'm growing in Christ that the sins that tripped me up five years and 10 years ago, I'm not perfect, but I'm growing in. That I'm growing in prayer, that I'm growing in love, that I'm growing in faith and confidence in the word of God. Paul's like, this is it. This is the most important. Find your joy in the Lord. And it's that gospel first mentality that is the fuel. When you look at everything you have in life as a gift given you from God, you can't help but to have joy. All right, he's gonna continue in verse two. Look what he says. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. All right, so now Paul is going to warn the Philippians. He says, listen, there's going to be false teachers coming. And there's going to be people that are going to teach a message that says it's not about God's love and his mercy and grace that saves you. It's about what you do. It's about your outward actions. It's about the choices you make and who you become that's going to determine your salvation. And the reason that this is so on top of Paul's mind is that this was a problem he was dealing with other churches that he had planted, specifically the Galatian church. In the Galatian church, there was this group of people called the Judaizers. And they said, basically, if you're actually going to be saved, you need to adopt the Jewish law and practices along with faith in Jesus Christ. And there was all these debates in the church about circumcision. Do Gentile followers of Jesus need to be circumcised like the Jews? That's why Paul says mutilate the flesh because they were demanding that the men have that happen to them. It was about what food could they eat? What could they do on the Sabbath? And this gift of God was being distorted into legalism. And Paul's like, watch out for this, these people. They're, they're going to distort the gospel. Don't put any confidence in your own actions or the flesh for your salvation. It's only ever been because of God. Paul is saying that to believe that we're saved through anything else other than Jesus is to not believe the gospel at all. And so here's the first point I'd like to share with you. It's this, it's that confidence in the flesh 
will not save or sustain you. When we put confidence in our own actions or our own reputation, it won't save us and it won't sustain us through suffering. So here's a question. What does it mean for us to not have confidence in the flesh? Like we don't have the same issue that the early church had with the Judaizers. Like I've no, had no one tell me that I'm not allowed to eat bacon anymore because I'm a Christian. Like that's, maybe there's some vegans and they're the closest thing, but I haven't had anyone say that I've got to follow the law or, or uh, have certain observations about the Sabbath. Like we don't have the Judaizers in the same way the early Gentile followers did. But what does it mean for us to be warned against putting confidence in the flesh? Because God's word is alive and it's active. And this is a message for us today. Well, I think um, here's a good way that, that I would ask this question. What are you building the foundation of your life on? Like, what is the one thing in your life that if you're like, man, everything else was stripped away, that this is like the one thing that I need to be okay. Because that's what ultimately you have confidence in. When everything else falls apart or when everything else is stripped away, the one thing that I'm gonna hold on to is this. That's where you're placing your ultimate confidence. And I think a lot of times we can replace Jesus with something else, right? I think for a lot of us, I know for me, this is a big one. Um, A lot of times that foundation, if I'm not careful, can be control. Right, as long as I can have a sense of control over what's going on, as long as I can plan and, and change the outcome, as long as I don't feel out of control, no matter what happens, I'll be able to work through it and navigate it. And uh, we're living through the COVID pandemic. And I think we can all agree that a lot of control in many areas of our life has sort of been stripped away, hasn't it? And God might be doing this to reveal some idols in our heart. Maybe it's not control, maybe it's health or safety. And maybe you're the person who dreads getting the call from the doctor about cancer or about um, being sick. So it's like, man, I'm just gonna be as healthy as I can. And as long as I have my health, as long as I have my energy, as long as I don't feel my body start to waste away, as long as, long as I'm in good health, then I can kind of navigate whatever. Just don't take my health away from me, right? The problem is, is we're all, playing a game that leads to death because of sin and that hope that we're going to be able to have that is an illusion. And I would say even in this season and the fear of the sickness and and people getting sick and dying, like even that's being stripped away a little bit in our national psyche. Maybe it's just, I need other people and I need to be social. Like as long as I'm not by myself and I'm not alone, I'm okay. And the isolation we face has been really difficult in this season because it's like, man, I get energy off other people and I love engaging with other people and they fill me up. And as long as I have friends and as long as there's people who love me and I'm around those people, then then I'll be okay. What's the foundation you build your life on? Here's some other ones. Maybe it's your spouse. Right? I know I think this all the time, man, if I lost Mary, man, I would just be devastated. And like, I don't even know how I would put one foot forward in front of the other sometimes. It's like, man, I just have this person in my life. We've been married for, you know, can be five years, 10 years, 50 years. And it's like, as long as I have this person, as long as we're together, right? It's that whole saying, you and me versus the world, babe. As long as we have each other, no matter what else is given or taken away, we'll be okay. Maybe it's family. 
right? Maybe it's, man, as long as I've got the kids and I've got the grandkids and we're all together and we're getting along, like that's what I need to sustain me. Maybe um, it's a lack of conflict, right? Maybe you are a peacemaker and, and you're like, as long as, as long as my life is peaceful, as long as people aren't angry with me, as long as I'm not involved in an argument and, and, and as long as I can have peace in my life, as long as there's no conflict, I'll be okay. But the second conflict creeps in, I don't sleep and I get unhealthy and, and I don't know how to handle it, right? I, I just need peace and this lack of conflict, that's gonna be the thing. Maybe it's my reputation. And I think this is one for a, a lot of us, man, I, I need to be seen a certain way. Like I need to be seen as a good leader. I need to be seen as a good father. I need to be seen as a hard worker. I need to be seen as intelligent and smart. And then I, I need to achieve in sports or athletics, or I, I need to have the reputation of, man, my yard's the best yard in the neighborhood and my family's the most put together. You can kind of insert whatever that is, but you know, I, I want people to perceive me this way. And I'm worried that when I'm not in the room, people talk about me this way. Right? How much of our life do we waste with a fear of what others perceive us or how others perceive us? And we can't control that anyways. But we think as long as I'm seen or perceived or people think I'm cool and people think I'm like this, then I'll be okay. Maybe it's financial freedom. Right, As long as I can provide this certain lifestyle for my family, as long as I have this job, as long as nothing changes economically and I can do these things, like that's what I'm putting my hope in. It's this financial freedom or, or to live in a certain way. Or maybe it's as simple as comfort, right? And when life gets scary and when life gets stressful, we run to things, whether it be alcohol or Netflix or trying to just get to the beach. Like what's this place that's going to make me comfortable where I don't have to deal with everything that's happening in my life. I just wanna feel the feelings of comfort. I think all of these are instances where we're putting confidence in the flesh. And what Paul is saying is, listen, this is not going to sustain you when things get difficult, only knowing the Lord, being empowered by his spirit, having an access and relationship with the creator God himself is going to be able to save you and sustain you in every season. Paul is saying, listen, these things aren't wrong things necessarily, but they can't be the foundation of our lives because if they are, then ultimately our joy is going to crumble when these things are removed from us. That's why he says, this is safe for you to hear because everything else we put our hope in has the chance to be taken away, but nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. It is safe for us to find our joy in the Lord. All right, and look what Paul says in verse four. He says, I'm gonna prove it to you. This is what he does. He says, though I myself have every reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain, 
I had counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Okay, here's the second thing that Paul is, is saying to us right now is that joy in Christ passes the suffering test. Joy in Christ passes the suffering test. Paul is like, listen, if anyone had reason to feel really good about their status in society and confidence in their own flesh, it was me. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was born from the right tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, which was one of the favorite tribes. I was even born on the right day and I was brilliant. I was better than all of my classmates in school and I was a Pharisee. I kept the law better than anyone else and I was more passionate and zealous like I was looked up to. I, I, I was revered in society. My finances were secure. Everything in life was going perfect for me. But when I found Jesus Christ and I recanted my Jewish faith, I was ostracized by society. I was persecuted, right? Paul, we don't hear of him ever having a family and maybe his parents disowned him. He was kicked out of the religious circles that he walked in and he was stoned and he was beaten and he was shipwrecked and he was lied about. Even when he's in prison, other people are preaching, but they're preaching to tear Paul down. So even what were supposed to be his partners in the faith are, are kicking him while he's down. He goes, listen, I've lost everything for Christ. You know, it's interesting. I, I think maybe because of just the civil unrest in our country and what's happening with the COVID pandemic, but I don't know if you've noticed this. It seems like people are talking about the end times a lot more. And they're like, man, is this the return of Christ maybe? Or what's it gonna be like when Christ returns? And what's it going to be like when um, you know persecution starts to come for the church and things get really bad and, and you go to jail if you're a follower of Jesus? Like people have started to ask me these questions. Like, what's it going to be like at the end times when things get bad? And, and here's what I would say. Um, what a blessing it is in America that these, these are only hypothetical questions right now, Right. Like, can we agree that there's never been a time of more peace and freedom in the history of the church than probably the last 300 years in America? Like when we think of suffering for Christ, when we think of persecution, it's hypothetical for us. And maybe we can see it in China or in the Middle East or maybe even in parts of Europe. But for us, it's very, very hypothetical. Here's what I want you to understand. This wasn't Paul speaking hypothetically at all. He's speaking out of experience. He's not saying I would lose everything for Jesus or, or I would follow Jesus even if it led to my death. He's saying I have lost everything for Jesus. I am following Jesus to my death. And he goes, all of those things that I gave up, I count them as rubbish. And he goes, here's why. Because everything I need I've already received from Christ as a gift uh, in salvation. It wasn't because of a righteousness that I created for myself. 
I have been given all of the righteousness through Christ. Everything I could ever need, I've already received in him. So whatever he asks me to lose in following him, I will gladly give away because the joy and the salvation I've received in Christ far surpasses any suffering I could face as a result of being his follower. Right, if you remember, if you were a part of our church, man, this feels like three years ago, but if you were a part of our church around November and December, we did a series on stewarding your finances. And we kind of laid out this same principle, like how do you view your money, right? Because if you view your money as yours, then being generous with God and others, you're not going to wanna do it because this is your money, you earned it, you've worked hard for it, and it is yours to do with what you want. But when we see what God has given us is, no, no, this has been given to us as the Lord and we're not owners, but we're caretakers and we're called to to steward it. Then when I give back to the Lord because he asks me to, and when I'm generous with others, it's natural and it's an act of worship because we acknowledge that everything is the Lord's in the first place. Paul is saying, man, everything has been stripped away from me, but it's all rubbish compared to what I've been given in Christ. Let me ask you a question, church. How's your joy been in this season? Like, can you honestly say that even if you've had to suffer over these past few months, like many of us have, are are you a joyful person? Because listen, if you can honestly say, man, even in this difficult season that we're walking through together as a church or as a family or as a country, man, my joy hasn't been affected. That means you're putting your joy in the right foundation because only Christ can sustain joy. If we're putting our hope in our freedoms or or our being able to see other people or or being able to, to live like we used to live, like all of that's being taken. But I tell you what, um, only Christ can pass the suffering test. Our joy in Christ always passes the suffering test. Let's look at how he finishes here in verse 10. Here's what he says. It's really powerful. He goes, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so here's the last question I wanna ask as we close. It's this, what ultimate goal are you chasing after? Right, Paul gives us his right there. He just says this, I wanna know him more. I wanna know Jesus more in the power of his resurrection. I wanna share in his sufferings. I wanna even become like him in his death so that I can experience his salvation. Paul's saying at the end of the day, at the end of my ministry, when everything else is stripped away, I just wanna be more like Jesus. I just wanna know him more. I just wanna have more of that intimacy with my creator. Paul is not sitting in a cell waiting to die, feeling sorry for himself. He's saying, if this suffering that I'm going through right now, if it is causing me to become more like Christ, if it's causing me to know what Christ went through for me, then man, I wouldn't trade this for the world. And my even my freedom, I count as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ more. So maybe let me ask you this question. In this season, what's been the hardest part for you? Maybe it's the isolation, right? And and maybe rather than just being frustrated by not being able to be around the people you love, maybe you can think to yourself, man, um, I'm starting to understand what it was like for Jesus 
who for eternity had perfect relationship with God the Father in the Trinity. I know what it's like now for him to have to go to earth and for that um, relationship to be broken because of sin. Like I know what Jesus went through for me in a way that's better and deeper and more because I've had to experience limited isolation from the people I love. See it as an opportunity to grow closer with Christ. Maybe it's the fact that many freedoms have been taken away. And maybe your issue has been, I just don't like having to submit to the government. I don't like these rules. I don't like the laws that are in place. I don't like that when I go into Myers, I've got to put a face mask on. Like I I really, really am frustrated by, by all of these regulations, right? Maybe Philippians 2 would be an encouragement to you where it's, you know, have this same mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that in the form, that even though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. Right, This is an opportunity for us to humble ourselves, to be good citizens, to follow the law and have a witness that, that we're not going to demand what we want or rebel against our authority, but we're going to trust the Lord and we're going to try to honor Christ in how we submit to the authorities that God himself has placed over us. Maybe um, what God is doing in your heart this season is just growing patience and waiting on the Lord. I think of when Jesus went into the wilderness for 30 days and 30 nights and all he did was pray and he fasted and he was tempted by Satan, but he said, no, 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 I'm not going to be unfaithful because my hope is in the law of the Lord. My my hope is in what God is doing. Maybe we are becoming more like Christ in how we suffer because God is doing a work of patience in our heart. I know he's doing a work of patience in my heart for sure. Maybe it's fear. Right, maybe um, it's just, man, I'm just scared. I don't know how things are gonna happen. I don't want to go through this. And I think of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, right? He was afraid. God, please take this from me. If there's any other way, let, let, let it be that way. Like give me some sort of out. But if you call me to do this, I'm gonna be obedient and I'm gonna be faithful. Listen, here's what I'm saying. Any discouragement, any fear, anything you're feeling right now, if we put our foundation in the Lord, we can see that the Lord is using these circumstances so that we might have more of Christ. And Paul says, if there's anything else that I could tell you, if if I could tell you just one last thing, it's this, the key to joy, the key to life is finding more of Christ, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Right, what a powerful passage. And I just pray that that would sink deeply into our hearts this week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I'm just thank you for, thankful for this time. I thank you for um, just the opportunity to utilize technology to teach your word. God, I am just uh, thankful for so many faithful followers uh, of you who are just being patient in this season. And God, we are all suffering a little bit together, but God, may we root our hope in you so that this suffering does not taint our joy on any level. We love you. We're thankful for you. Would you strengthen our resolve? Would you reveal yourself to us in new and fresh ways, even as I'm praying these words? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a great week, Harvest. You are loved.